Welcome to Aspire and you're with Alex. I'm on board to share the aspirations and the willingness of practitioners around to help us help ourselves. And tonight we have the fabulous Judy Apana. How are you, Judy? Oh my goodness, it's so great to have you on the show. I absolutely adore all of the work that you that you do for the Lismore community. And um, tonight we're going to talk about uh, the spiritual care counselling and education that you do and also the accidental tourist. Tell me, Judy, you've been a counsellor and worked with people with life-threatening illness and grief for the past 15 years. What opened the door to that journey? It goes back to the late 80s when I heard or saw Elizabeth Kubler-Ross when she was visiting Australia and everything she said just made sense and... I later went on to meet her, but that really sparked something in me. What kind of things did she say? She talked about the fact that when somebody is dying, they actually do want to talk about it Mm. and everybody else evades that conversation and that really made sense to me and that people are actually craving to talk when they know they've been about dying mm. and how we don't use the word death and dying. We use all sorts of very strange euphemisms. Um, recently a friend pointed out to me that we no longer use the word passed over, mm. it's just passed, which is sort of meaningless. And, you know, I'm really dedicated to using the words death and dying because that's what happens We don't need to be confused about that. And also to bring in the idea, strange as it may seem, that death is not a failure. Mm. You know, I remember reading a report once where a patient died and the doctor had written patient failed treatment. Is it it a societal conditioning of being fearful of even using language that recognises the inevitable? Yes. Right. Yes. And so when death comes, which in, it inevitably will, it comes as a surprise. Mm. And there is a certain sense of shock when somebody dies, even when it's an expected death. Mm. It's, uh, you know, I've been around many people when they've died and I still experience that. And it's something about the finality mm. and the wonder of it that I hope I never get used to, actually, um, because it is a sacred moment. Um, However, it's not a failure, and the more we can prepare for that, in some many Buddhist practices, the Tibetan tradition that I have studied with, that we remember every day that this could be our last, you know, that we remember each day that everything is impermanent, including our life. Goodness, that would make me turn the remote. Get get the remote and turn the TV off immediately. <laughs> Interestingly, I lived uh, in a Buddhist monastery in England for a year in the Lake District, and every morning we did that uh, reflective guided meditation of the fact that death is certain and the time of death is uncertain. And every morning I'd have a sort of a mental tantrum about doing this. However, I did it. It was a group practice. I was part of the community and I did it. 
when I left a year later, I could really see the effects that that had had, how differently I saw the world. Oh, wow. And that made me feel very optimistic about even if you don't want to do it and you're having a mental tantrum and you don't really want to be doing it, do it anyway and it still works. It worked. A year of doing that really shifted my whole perception of the world. The uncertainty of when it's going to happen, does it give you more optimism when you change your mindset around ignoring it completely? Like, would you call yourself an optimistic person? I'm very optimistic. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Probably annoyingly so. Oh, really? (laughs) (laughs) So you've worked with uh, doctors, nurses, pastoral care workers, social workers, volunteers, uh, the general public or in aged care facilities and hospices and you've done this all around the world. Do you want to talk us through what a seminar on death looks like? Okay. Is it like I, I guess I would assume it's quite depressing. No, uh, to the contrary. Right. <laughs> we often have lots of laughter Um, First of all, most important for me is that we have it in a beautiful place. Mm. Um, And I understand that people are often under some sort of stress when they come to it and often nervous, wondering what's happening and what's going to happen and will they cry all weekend or, Mm. you know. So I'm very aware of that. So I try to make the place really beautiful and welcoming. It's a combination of we have short and simple meditations and guided reflections Mm -hmm. um, so that we become present. I invite people to participate to their comfort level Some people like to talk, some people like to listen. However, there's lots of room for interaction. No two seminars are ever the same because while I have a list of subjects that we cover, because it's interactive, it really belongs to the participants Mm. how it goes. So each uh, some people have done the same seminar three or four times and they're all completely different because they're interactive. Um, How many people are usually? Uh, usually at the ones around here it's between 12 and 15 people. Right, so there's a lot of people who are interested in grief and... Yes. ...and dying. Yes, yep. So we approach things, we look at... Um, The first thing we cover is the fact that death is certain and the time of death is uncertain. And we hold that really at the core and keep coming back to that. But we also look at loss and what loss is for different people because there's physical loss and emotional loss and existential loss and... So we have a time to reflect on that, which then leads us into looking at grief and loss because there's no particular recipe or guide for grief. Everyone grieves in their own way. So this is an opportunity in the light of looking at losses to identify how each individual grieves. So they start to recognise oh, this is what my grief looks like. It's not necessarily tears and sadness. It can be 
anger, irritability, um, changed libido, getting very busy, you know. So when we reflect on how we respond to loss, then we can identify our way of grieving. That's really powerful, isn't it? Because I am assuming that once you identify it, it doesn't need to take over your life as much. Exactly. In a way, you give yourself permission. Mm. You know, it's not like, oh, there's something wrong with me because I'm losing my temper all the time or I can't bear certain things and I'm irritable all the time and so therefore there's something wrong with me. Mm. It's This is grief. And then when I did that, I can now say to people... I'm grieving. For me, sometimes I feel like I don't have any skin and and my nerve endings are exposed, so I'm irritable mm. and I know what that is. So I can alert people to this is what's happening. And I guess that would reduce the amount of drama that then piles on top of your, the capacity that you have to deal with exactly. irritability in yes. the first place, right? Yes, yes. That I'm not projecting it out. Mm. I understand what it is. doesn't stop me from feeling it, mm. but I'm not projecting it. I don't believe in the stories that come with the irritability. That person, what that person just said to me or the way they looked at me or mm. whatever it is that's irritating. Mm. So it's a personal exploration of death and dying and you've put here on your website, judyapana.com.au, that health practitioners will find this seminar really helpful for their practice but also their own lives. Do you want to talk a bit about that? Often people come with life-limiting illnesses and unless we are familiar with our own thoughts, feelings, responses around death and dying... Um, we may project stuff onto our patients or clients. So the more awareness we have of our own feelings around death and dying, we probably won't project that onto others Mm. and can be, well, what I call an authentic presence Mm. in the face of very strong emotions like grief or knowing that you've got a life-limiting illness. Right. So as a practitioner understanding our own experiences of death and dying means that if someone walks into the room heightened in the space of grief, then we're not necessarily going to be triggered to then mm. uh, everyone, like that. those boundaries collapse and yeah. then we... Or we start offering advice or whatever. It's That's not what somebody who's grieving needs. Oh, you know, oh, okay. Because <laughs> that's really interesting because often people um, are ignored when they're grieving because people don't know what to say. Yes, indeed. Some people feel like advice is the the only thing they have to offer. Yes. What would you say to people who are unsure of how to approach a colleague or uh, uh, someone close to them who is grieving? Mm. Often it's real honesty and authenticity is is the way to go. I think when anyone's under stress or heightened, their bullshit detectors are heightened as well. Mm -hmm. So just being authentic. So saying, you know, I don't know what to say, but I just want to know, let you know that I'm here. If there's anything I can do, you know, is it okay if I ring up or send you messages? 
I can't imagine what you're feeling. That's very powerful, isn't it? Mm. When someone uh, tries to empathise by saying, I know how you feel mm-hmm. and you're in a state of how could you ever Possibly understand. Yeah. yeah. So that's a very powerful sentence, isn't it? The uh, I can't imagine how you're feeling. Mm. What do you need? Mm. People want to talk about their loved one who has died. Often, you know, and, and of mm. course the opposite happens. People avoid talking about them because they don't want to upset you. Mm. However, what the person is longing for is to talk about them. And in talking about them, my experience when my mum died is that I needed to keep telling the story and I was very aware that I was repeating myself. I didn't care. Mm, good. Um <laughs> I don't care if I said it to the same person. I just, ne- I was very aware that each time I told the story, I was accepting it a little bit more. Mm. And it was an, a real need that each time it just a little bit deeper, mm. went in a little bit deeper. Mm. And I'm very aware of that. So I've, even the term grief counselling, I've got some reservations about. Most people don't need counselling. Oh, tell me more about that. <laughs> Even though I'm a grief counsellor. <laughs> Put us out, out of business. <laughs> <laughs> tell, me, tell me why you think... Because people sometimes get stuck in their tracks with grief mm. and it can really interrupt flow and it can interrupt... Um, being, you know, the feeling of if I let this feeling go, then I'm letting the person go. I think grief always takes people by surprise. It always lasts much longer than people anticipate or want or hope for, Mm. uh, including their friends and workplace. Mm. And... It can, it's very unpredictable. It can smooth out and then something will come from left field and completely sweep you off your feet. You know, similar, the metaphor, because grief is so difficult to talk about, the feelings is almost beyond words. So we use metaphors and the one that's most common is waves coming in and out, Mm. that sometimes they're gentle and you can sort of flow with them and other times they come crashing over you and completely knock you off your feet. Um, And sometimes often you don't even see that coming. Mm. Yeah, If people... The the people who come for counselling often... Um, have hit a sort of a a wall and I really feel like my job is more about normalising because we're often unfamiliar um, with grief and often there's a lot of anger attached to it and I know when I experience that, this can't be grief, I'm angry all the time. But as Stephen Levine says, anger is uh, a response to not getting what you think you should have. <gasps> oh, my goodness. You know what? In my head just went, uh, love what is. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Your seminars explore the meaning of life and death and you bring the challenging themes of the extraordinariness of ordinariness. <laughs> 
don't you? That's your favourite thing to do, I think, in life, I'm pretty sure. Now, the, um, the seminar, Facing Death, Finding Hope, A Personal Exploration of Death and Dying with Judy Arpana. So where can I go to register for that? You would Is go it? to my website. Mm-hmm. JudyArpner.com.au. And are you on Facebook? Yes, there's a Facebook page called Facing Death, Embracing Life, and the details of this seminar are on that. You can find out more. Judy Arpana, J U D Y A R P for pop, A N A.com.au. Wow, you've been listening to AspirePost.com. Tune in next time and find out how you can make change happen.